0: I'm Monique Collins, I'm Jill Tu, my name is Camille Eicher, I'm Chelsea Gayton,
1: I'm K.O. Bird,
2: and welcome to the Afronauts Podcast.
3: What's up, y'all? My name's Jill Tu. This week in our Writing While Black segment, we're talking about infusing our writing with elements of our culture through dialogue and world building. How do our backgrounds show up in the worlds we create? And is there such a thing as too much culture on the page? Enjoy.
0: I was actually thinking about my, uh, my work in progress, the Southern Gothic one, because the, one of the main characters, she's from rural Georgia in 1920. So she talks like they talk in their eyes are watching God in that mm-hmm. dialect, which mm-hmm. is very specific. I thought they were from Florida though. No, the Rise Watching God is in Florida. Yeah, yeah but but Florida, Georgia—they're next Florida. door to
1: each other. Don't do
0: that. No, 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 no. Basically, the same. <laughs> it's the same. No, no. <laughs> don't do, don't, no, do, don't do that. Mm-hmm. No. Uh, I was like I, it's a stones throw.
1: Oh, look, <laughs> no. the Georgia. Star. Look, Jill, <laughs> no. got no. Jill got mad. No. Jill got mad. Why are you?
0: It's, <laughs> not, on, Jill? it's not the same. They <laughs> don't want
1: to. <laughs> they don't want to be lumped in with Florida.
0: So,
3: Camille, you like embraced that? You had questions about it. Like, how did you?
0: I really embraced it because I I felt like the way they talk is how my my older family talked. Mm-hmm. There are, all of that branch of the family is like dead now, but mm-hmm. the way they talked was similar to the way they talked in their eyes are watching God. Mm-hmm. And so I I know the, like the beats, I know the the cadence, I know the mm-hmm. rhythm of how how they talk. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's actually really easy for me to get into that mind state and be able to write that
4: way. Like in the book that I'm querying right now, there's like a character who is basically like my grandmother she like embodies the character like the way she talks and just i don't really think of like a specific accent when i think mm-hmm. of like a southern black woman but i just mm-hmm. hear like my grandma's voice so
1: mm-hmm. that's like
4: what i use for my character
1: do you ever have trouble writing it like how am i gonna write this out
4: i do
2: because and not there there's there are two things one like gala is a is a it's a real language but it was never um, originally a written language. It was an oral language. So one of my, I guess my main concerns was that when I wrote it, no one would understand it if, if you were not Geechee. Yeah. And then I actually spoke to Nalo Hopkinson. <laughs> oh, nice. I'm like geeking out because I love Nalo. Mm-hmm. But I, um, there was like an event at Emerson, my graduate school, and I got to introduce her. So I spoke to her and I asked her, I was like, how do you incorporate your natural um, Caribbean language and dialogue into your stories? Because her language in Galagichi is very, very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, like I could hear and pick up a lot of the dialect and the language similarities when I read her work. Mm-hmm. And she said that she tries to write the rhythm of her language. And I think that kind of helped me when it came to writing my own stories?
3: I was I was distracted because I and I cannot find the name of the short story that I read over the summer I need to go back and find it there's a great short story I'm gonna have to find it and put it in the show notes about a black girl scout troop and the the cool thing about the story is that the whole time when it's like when it's the girls talking to each other and talking to the grown-ups they're code switching like the whole time in the short story
2: Oh, I love it, that!
3: It's so cool, and I'll have to find it and and share it with y'all. Um, but I just loved the way that that was done, and yeah, it made me think about the realities of, of dialects dialect, like in in the in our world, right? Just like living every day, and how that can be reflected in the stories that we write and how we write them.
2: Yeah, I, I love to cold switch when I write dialect mm-hmm. dialogue specifically. It shows so much that.
3: about what's uh what the character's thinking I'm, I want to try it with my um historical fantasy um work in progress I haven't gotten to the part where that like matters yet where like the characters in the society that she's gonna have to be switching back and forth from we'll see if I get brave enough to try but um yeah I think that's such a cool it just reveals so much about a character and I think it's something that is so so unique to to black people and, and people of color in general
2: Chelsea I mean Camille, why are you looking like that
0: I thought I heard someone snore.
1: <laughs>
2: oh, sorry. It's my dog. It's my it dog. dog. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, I, thought, I thought it was Chelsea because her video is off. Monique,
3: Monique no. said we couldn't no, mute, Chelsea so I haven't snoring. been reading. but he's just like grunting. And How did you even
2: grunting. hear that so well? Oh,
3: like, I, I didn't hear even
2: hear it. I
3: heard, I heard it. it. I, was I, like, either. I thought Chelsea was crazy. snoring too. So we talked about like white artists and authors Appropriating and like grabbing elements of blackness and like other POC cultures just for like the marketability of it. But there's also, I think, a complicated question of whether or not black authors and artists can and are doing the same thing, Um, like playing up some elements of the culture for white consumption, for white gays. Like, is my first question is like, is it possible, right? Mm-hmm. um and how do you guys feel about that and is there some like line you draw in your own work when you're thinking about this right like oh like that's actually that's not for everybody like we're not going to talk about that because I don't want to like
0: is this like the inside the house outside of the house yeah exactly and okay. just like
3: like I think I told you guys before like um listening to Deadline City Danielle Clayton in an episode like a few months back was talking about how like she didn't play up the like New Orleans accent in one of her recent books because she was she didn't want to make like a a stereotype or like caricature out of it. Mm -hmm. um, Cause that's not what she wanted people to take away from the book. And like, even though like people like the the dialect is real she was like, you know, I didn't want people to I didn't want it to come across as like a mockery of like, what is a very real culture. So like I chose elements to carefully insert but she didn't like put the whole dialect on display whereas other other authors would something different, right? Would say, you know, like to your point Camille about your story. Like I'm going to put it in because it's the way that like my people speak, right? Um so yeah, just wanted to throw it out there like how do you guys think about reflecting the culture and 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 do you think that there's a point where even black people can go too far just given that it is for better or for worse like in right now and like some elements are trending.
4: Interesting. I I don't really think of it that way. I mean, if someone intentionally like withholds some culture mm-hmm. i guess that's their decision but as far as people like playing up the culture my thing is like I don't, I don't how do you know if it's real if they're playing it up unless they say so unless someone meets them like oh you don't you don't really talk like that but mm-hmm. writers you know you're, you're writing different characters so if you're writing a character from a certain region during a certain time period then mm-hmm. I i don't oh. see i don't see an issue with it really mm-hmm. like well it just depends she-
2: Kind of to get, to jump off your point, Chelsea, and to kind of go back to what you were saying, Jill. I think that this has always been a, um, a contentious point historically. Mm-hmm. Um, going back again to the time of Blackface when mm-hmm. Black actors would don Blackface and mm-hmm. be on mm-hmm. stage next to white men in Blackface. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, or going into the Harlem Renaissance when we have Zora Neale Hurston mm-hmm. and how she... Refused to write in standard American English when she was writing dialect, Mm -hmm. and she wrote in the natural dialect of her people, Mm -hmm. um, in in her region in Florida. So I I think it can definitely happen. I think people can definitely, black people can definitely, um, use black culture as a marketing strategy Mm -hmm. or as a or as a marketing survival strategy, right? Mm -hmm. Um, kind of like they did during the time of blackface, and I think if you're, if you kind of unpack some things inside and you're honest with yourself, I think that that possibility is always there for mm-hmm. writers. And mm-hmm. I say that because a lot of us have never written, not written, a lot of us have never read hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books about black characters in a speculative setting.
1: That's a great we point. just haven't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so yeah.
2: sometimes it's hard to know how to use your own culture because you haven't ever seen it before. Wow, and yeah. so you kind of can, um, I guess, with I know within myself, some, when I was first um, kind of starting out writing, I, and as an adult, when I was younger, I didn't care either way. But when I thought of writing for others, right? When mm-hmm. I thought of other, writing for the market, um, which is, I think is a terrible thing to, thing to <laughs> think about. Mm-hmm. the fear of misrepresenting my culture or the fear of writing mm-hmm. a Black person that wasn't quote unquote Black enough mm-hmm. was there. Because mm-hmm. I, I, even, I even found myself foolishly asking, asking my sister, I was like, wait, does this character seem Black to you? Mm-hmm. And then I was like, wait, why am I asking her this? Th- like, I'm Black. I, I know what, right? if you've yeah. never seen yourself on the page before, yeah. Sometimes you don't know how it is to see yourself even on your own page.
3: absolutely
1: I, a, I love that monique like a really um, I, I heard of bit, Jill, your question from a different angle and tell me if this is what you meant at all. What yeah. I heard was um, when people play up blackness or they like you just talk about for the white gaze mm-hmm. and I, I I think about that when I'm writing because of what you said, Monique, about people writing for like the current trends or writing to the market. Like you hear this all the time. Like, does this book sellable, right? If if, the, if they can't, if a editor or whoever can't sell a book, then they're talking, they have all these reasons. So I'm thinking while I'm writing it, is this going to be a hindrance? Like, it's stupid. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A, are they going to look at this and do I have to explain like what this is? Mm-hmm. Um, I remember the first time I heard about an explanatory comma, I didn't know what that was, but like, we do it all the time. Like, well, talk about something and then explain what it is. Cause we're like, oh, white folks might be reading this book and they might not know what it is. Uh-huh. So let me explain it to them. And uh-huh. there are some people that I love. They're fantastic writers, but I see that, I feel like in some of their books, they purposely p- try to push all the different areas of black culture that they can out to the forefront. Like in case mm-hmm. you don't know, we do this and mm-hmm. we do this and you don't know this and I, mm-hmm. I try to catch myself. Cause like I had a, a barbecue scene and then part of it, the family was playing spades. Cause that's what I know at mm-hmm. like a barbecue. Like you got to cook out. We playing spades. Are we playing dominoes. Like it's just natural. Mm-hmm. But I'm Crazy like, eights. I'm like do okay. Do I got to explain this stuff? Can I just be like, hey, twenty five. Like or do I got to like you know break down like, oh, this is how the game is played. You know mm-hmm. like, and even then, am I putting that stuff in there to be like, hey yo, black folks play dominoes and y'all don't know how to play. And when y'all play Mexican train, that ain't it. <laughs> when y'all playing chicken foot, that ain't it. Or whatever. Uh-huh are like this uh-huh. just dominoes. I don't uh-huh. I don't know what it's called. It's just dominoes. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Like I, I think about this every time I write. Am I mm-hmm. doing this? Do I uh, am I doing this because I want it in here? And also am I doing this and do I explain it for white people? Like mm-hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yep. I love the explanatory comment. Um I've I've actually never heard it called that before, but I I do make a point to take all out all cultural explanations mm-hmm. because oh, yeah. i love i love books and poems and writing that doesn't rely on that and writers who just allow the context
3: to speak for itself
1: i agree figure it out go google it
3: yeah i mean the internet's right there yeah. yep.
4: I it's like you're dropped in a world right you should just embrace it and experience it yeah like the
3: character yeah. like in terms of yeah. voice the character wouldn't be like oh and so i like Put down this card, and that means blah 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 blah. Like, see, that's not uh, happening. This,
1: I don't know if y'all have this fear, but I'm trying to be traditionally published, so I'm wondering: like, does my agent get this? Does my editor get this? Do I have mm-hmm. to have a black editor? If I get a white editor, are they gonna be questioning yeah. this? Like... I think you have
2: to make that voice inside of your head shut up.
1: Just say shut up. <laughs> all right, yes, Monique.
2: Yes, yeah, I'm being like just, dead right, Danielle, just right, Just right. You have to tell it to shut up because I think that's like, I mean, we we all have that like internal editor that won't mm-hmm. stop talking to us. Mm-hmm. And we also, and I think Toni Morrison spoke about this one day. Some writers have like that white man on their shoulder, and <laughs> I, she like she was like, "I don't have that white man on my shoulder." I love so it. I'm not gonna be like you. Tony. You went on my shoulder, and I'm just gonna I, you know definitely
0: when when I was writing the one I'm writing right now, there is a there is one of the main characters. She does like I said, she does talk in a very specific way that people don't talk like that anymore Mm -hmm. and so i i really i did worry that even my my beta readers who were black i'm I'm just like wait are they gonna think that i'm i'm weird for for talking for for writing her like this because it really is such a specific speech pattern and i just (laughs) really worried that no one was gonna get it but also then I thought, well, there are people who write about secondary worlds that
1: mm-hmm. have
0: that are that don't have our kind of society or our, our kind of culture or our speech patterns, and they don't have to do all of the explaining. they don't exactly. have exactly right like do not worry about If it. you can
3: make up elvish, then I think like so why so
1: is that different? <laughs>
0: right I, and I, this woman is from georgia like, so
1: we ain't correct. doing it no it's more not, It's not like, a monique, world. like yeah. monique said turn it off we ain't doing it no more yeah
2: and, more. I, and I, I think i think it's the skill and the gift of the writer to be able to put things in context right mm-hmm. yep i agree yeah. yeah yeah and so i think whatever world you're building you're going to introduce new terms new words mm-hmm. and i i treat my culture like that from now on mm-hmm. like i'm like just like i would treat Fantasy elements, that's how I'm treating my culture. I'm not going to explain yep. every single thing, piece of it. I'm going to put it in context and let the readers figure it out.
1: All right, so no explanatory comma and no white gaze. No
4: white men on our shoulders. Check and check.
1: What up, Afronauts? This is Kale Bird, and on today's episode of Craft Country, we're going to talk about one of my absolute favorite resources, and that's the Story Grid Method. Now, to give you a little backstory, I started writing my first manuscript back in 2017, but it was a struggle to get words on the page. Using another resource called the Snowflake Method, I was able to create an outline, but it still wasn't exactly what I needed. At that time, I just looked into self-publishing, and I knew absolutely nothing about traditional publishing. It just seemed like something that someone with the right connections, or the right hookup, or the right degree could do. Not me, the average Joe who was just starting out with his writing career but I needed resources. Now, I'm a podcast junkie, and I stumbled across Joanna Penn, who's a successful self-published author. On one of her episodes, she interviewed a nonfiction writer named Tim Grawl, and Tim explained how he wanted to jump from nonfiction into fiction writing, but he didn't know where to start. He came across a book called The Story Grid by a guy named Sean Coyne, who is an editor with almost three decades' experience in the industry. Now, he calls up Sean and convinces him to start a podcast with him, detailing everything that's in his book. First off, I was completely impressed with the fact that Tim was able to convince a guy he doesn't even know to start a podcast with him. Now, after that podcast finished, I immediately switched over to Sean and Tim's podcast called The Story Grid, and I binged the first few episodes. It was fantastic. I finally had the formula that would help me unlock my manuscript. And here's the best part. Sean Coyne has made virtually all of his resources free, so if you want to dive in today, you can. There's the Story Grid podcast, which I'm talking about, and storygrid.com. It's his website where you have a breakdown of each episode with corresponding materials. Now, for the ultimate nerd like me, you can order his book of the same title, which gives you an in-depth breakdown of the science behind writing a great manuscript. In the time that we have left together, I'm going to give you a quick breakdown of what I believe are the most important parts of the story grid method. The first thing is the five commandments of storytelling. These are five parts of a story that must be in every section of a novel. Now, if you don't know, the typical three-act structure involves what Sean calls a beginning hook, a middle build, which I love so much more than the middle slog that we hear so much about, and an ending payoff. You'll find that these words vary depending on who is talking about the three-act structure, but this is what we use in the story grid method, so I'm going to use that terminology. Now, for the beginning hook, that's 25% of the book. 50% of the book is the middle build, and then the last 25% is the ending payoff. Now, of course, these numbers are flexible, and there are also other structures that people use, such as a four-act structure and other non-Western structures, but I'm going to stick with three-act structure for the sake of this podcast. For each of these acts, you need these five parts of story always. So, let's start with number one. Number one is the inciting incident. Now, many authors have heard of this one. This is how your story starts off with a bang. It's the thing that draws the reader in. It's the husband who gets a phone call saying he has cancer, or the friend who's crashed her car, and the, or the antagonist who's lost a parent. You find something that hooks the reader right away. Next up, number two, is the progressive complication. We love it when the story gets complicated. That's what draws us in. We need the drama, no matter the genre. The friend crashed her car, but to make matters worse, it was at the police chief's house, and her car went through the fence and into a tree at 2 a.m. Number three is a crisis. Sean describes this as the best bad choice. So let's go back to our same story. The friend was drunk, so she has to decide. Do I stay and get arrested, or do I go to jail for driving under the influence as a 17-year-old? Should I run home and sleep it off? What do I need to do? She decides that she's going to flee the scene. Now we're fully invested in the story, and now we're also yelling at her and calling her an idiot, but we're wondering if we would have done the exact same thing. Number four is the climax. This is the one that most people recognize and understand. It's the thing that we've been taught since elementary school. You've always got to have a climax. The friend crawls into your window, and she recaps everything that just happened, and she says she can't go home and wants to stay with you. Next thing you know, there's a banging on your door, and someone says it's the police. You both freak out. It's a small town, and they know that you're friends, and they're here to look for her. You hide her in the back of your closet, underneath a pile of clothes and a large laundry basket. Well, then, we get to number five, the resolution. The cops come in, they briefly look around after your parents let them in, and then they leave. You and your friend exhale, she starts to cry, you're relieved that she's okay, but you know it's not going to magically get better in the morning. So, what happens next? Those, my friends, are the five commandments of storytelling. So, to recap that real quick number one, the inciting incident, number two, the progressive complication, number three, is the crisis, number four, is the climax, and number five, is the resolution. You need all five of those. In each section. So, the Story Grid method shows you how you put those in practice across the entire story for each act and even for each chapter. At a minimum, it gives you a framework and can help you get started, especially if you're a planter like me. So, <laughs> I'm a combination of a pantser and a planner. I like to plan my outline by laying out each scene that I see in my head. And I use this method to lay out. Scene one, scene two, scene three, scene four, scene five. I usually have like one sentence that I write. However, when I get into the nitty-gritty and I start writing, I fly by the seat of my pants and I'm just typing whatever comes to me. I know in the back of my head where it should go, but I don't have every part detailed. This is an extremely helpful tool that keeps me on track. So once again, the five commandments of storytelling. Super important. I want you guys to go check out the Story Grid website. That's where you're gonna find a majority of the materials that break down everything I just talked about and additional resources, such as the editor's six core questions. These are six questions that everyone needs to ask before they start their manuscript, or even after, because I go back and I'll look at it and be like, What do I need to fix? Do I need to change something in this manuscript? Here are the six questions What's the genre? Number two, what are the conventions and obligatory scenes for that genre? Number three, what's the point of view? Number four, what are the objects of desire? Number five, what's the controlling idea slash theme? And then number six, what's the beginning hook, the middle build, and the ending payoff? Once again, there's all kinds of information, PDFs resources that are all on the website and so I love that someone's willing to give this out for free because so many times we're looking for resources and ways to dig deeper into our craft and we're like I don't have the money to be able to afford a class or to do something big or to get a master's in it what can I do this is one of those resources where you can go for free and look at all of the things that are on there and not even have to get the book Once again, I would recommend getting the book if you're able to. I have the book. I'm going through it right now. There's so many details in the book that are super helpful. But even if you don't do that, all of this information is online. All right. Well, thank you for joining me today on Craft Country. Next time, we're going to take a look at the various writing masterclasses that are available out there. See you then.
4: I'm Chelsea Gayden, and welcome back to Black Specific Rex. Today, we have two recommendations that warmed my heart and left me feeling hopeful during a time when I really needed it. My first recommendation is the book The Sound of Stars by Alicia Dow. It was the book cover that sold me on this one. It's a hauntingly beautiful image of the New York City skyline, overlaid with what looks like smoke and some sort of energy blasts or comets and a brilliant night sky in pink and purple and blue hues the contents are just as breathtaking this is a sci-fi book even for those who aren't fans of the genre during an alien invasion a book-loving girl and an alien embark on a journey to save books music and humanity the story takes you on a roller coaster of hope and heartbreak and it includes references to incredible stories and music and a heart-melting romance But the love of art is at the core of this story. The Sound of Stars reminds us that art can be an act of joy and rebellion. It also details the importance of people telling their own stories and the value of hearing the stories of others. The kinds of stories that let you see the world through different eyes are the ones that give you a new perspective. The loss of art is also addressed in this book, and losing art is like losing history, but creating it is one way to tap into who you are. This is one reason why Black stories told by Black writers are so important. Even with fiction, we are recording and sharing our unique perspectives and experiences. And every story we share is another contribution to our collective history. This is one of those books that reminds me why I keep writing, because of the power of stories. They are a form of magic that connects us all. The other recommendation I have is for The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, created by Malcolm Spellman, now streaming on Disney+. Plus. If you aren't a Marvel fan, or got sick of the weekly flood of Sebastian Stan memes, I implore you to give this one a shot. This series left my mouth on the floor and deserves a standing ovation for its boldness. After the success of Black Panther, it's good to see Disney investing in more Black superhero stories on screen. But viewers get more than super strength and spectacle with this series. They get some damn good writing. This show is grounded in a reality that looks far too familiar and that doesn't change when the action starts. Anthony Mackie brings the Black American experience to the MCU, and Disney doesn't hold back. The series addresses racism, income inequality, trauma, and the complex relationship Black folks have with America. When Mackie's character, the Falcon, is given the Captain America mantle, one question still looms. Can a Black man be Captain America? Can he fight for a country that has failed to fight for him, be the face of a nation that discriminates against his own, Instead of answering audiences through the approval of white characters or some government entity, we see two generations of Black men who have had different experiences in America wrestle with these questions. Although much has changed with each generation, we still have a long way to go. But whether we fight for that change is our choice, and our choices impact our reality. So if you're in the mood for an action-adventure, buddy comedy, with important social commentary, be sure to check this one out. I love to hear your suggestions for more black spec pick. So send me your favorites. Can't wait to check them out. Till next time.
0: On this episode of Genre Galaxies, I'm going to talk about the spooky, the strange, and the surreal. Today's deep dive is horror. Okay, I have a Scorpio stellium and I write a lot of Southern gothic, so the horror slash gothic slash the occult, it's my jam. If you look at books as ways we explore emotions, then horror is the genre often used to explore fear. Something I employ to help me see a wide breadth of emotion is the feelings wheel. If you don't know, a feeling wheel is a big circle with levels of emotions. The intersections are supposed to be the primary emotions, and it goes out from there. For instance, fear is a primary emotion. One of the six offshoots from fear is anxiety. The two offshoots of anxiety are being overwhelmed and worried. Okay, so if horror is an exploration of fear then you can see how many different avenues and caves and clifftops you can go into. Rejection can turn into something more specific, like feeling excluded or persecuted. Or feeling insecure can be explored through a main character who sees themselves as inferior. Or they're in an environment where other people think they're inferior. There's a lot to play around with. Now I'm going to talk about a couple subgenres, but I would be remiss if I didn't say we're getting into murky territory. Subgenres are super interesting to me since they aren't a quote-unquote primary genre, they oftentimes fit into several different primary genres at once. In my research for this episode, I ran across several agents and editors who placed gothic as a subset of horror, but other professionals place it beside or even in conjunction with dark fantasy, a subset of either or both fantasy and horror, depending on who you're talking to. So, just want to remind everyone that genres and subgenres exist on multiple spectrums. The two subgenres I'm going to talk about are gothic and paranormal, starting with paranormal which is probably one of the best, if not the best, known and understood horror subgenre. I don't know about you, but the first thing that comes to mind when I hear the word paranormal is vampires and werewolves, which of course makes me think about Twilight, which I won't be getting into, but I think it's an excellent, quick and broad reminder of what paranormal can look like. Basically, Paranormal fiction is when creatures or events exist that aren't possible in the real world, like vampires and werewolves, also witches and shapeshifters, zombies and demons. The list goes on. In paranormal fiction, these things are just a part of life, for better or for worse. If I had to put paranormal fiction somewhere on the feelings wheel under fear, I would put it in the offshoot of threatened. Because a lot, not all, but a lot of paranormal stories center around not being found out by humans, or being found out and what that would look like. The Southern Vampire Mysteries series, better known as the True Blood series, is a great example for that, as well as the All Souls trilogy by Deborah Harkness. Okay, moving on to Gothic. The Gothic genre dates back to at least the 17th century and often involves themes centering around death, sin, or personal torment. I could go on and on about the history of gothic literature and how it was birthed from romanticism as a reaction to the Enlightenment, but I won't for your sake. Just know, gothic lit has a really cool history, and it explores some dark themes that often make people uncomfortable or even angry with its portrayal of the darkness that exists in humanity. If I were to put gothic fiction somewhere on the feelings wheel under fear, I would put it in the offshoot of Frightened, because a lot of gothic lit is scary or unsettling. A recent book I would recommend for the horror slash gothic genre is The Year of the Witching by Alexis Henderson. It's dark feminist fantasy with religious cults and witches tearing down the patriarchy, so I totally recommend it. All right, that's it for me today. Thank you for joining me inside Genre Galaxies. Hey, Monique. Hey, Camille. And today on the Black Joy Crew, we are going to be talking about our comfort books, our writer's survival kits, and healthy ways we can decompress. Awesome. Let's get to it. So, Monique, what are some things that are important to you in your comfort books? Why are they your comfort books? Ooh, that's a good question. So, don't
2: laugh. I know you'll be tempted to laugh. (laughs) But I really, really, I love um, books about, like, werewolves. I think I like the community of the were- like the werewolves have. You know they have their oh, packs okay. and they're all together and then they have like internal conflict. So I really love that. And also I love romance. So give me werewolves and romance. Oh my gosh.
0: Okay, so like a paranormal romance. Yes, love it all. What about you? Okay. My comfort books I found are about a woman. Okay. And there's an aspect of history in the book, preferably um, pre 20th century history. So anything past or anything before that, I love it. So all of my books are either a historical fiction, historical fantasy, or they're like the science fiction time traveling thing where they're from our time or in the future, but they travel back in time. To like some Uh, Scottish lord in a manor and he has talking about a like like outlander (laughs) (laughs) is that that what this is okay uh I did yeah I did I did enjoy outlander I I read the book the first book I haven't I saw the first episode of the series Mm -hmm. and um I prefer the books so that was all that happened Um, okay so any other comfort book? Okay, so uh, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, who is an author. She wrote um, Eat, Pray, Love,
1: okay. and
0: she's got a book, Big Magic, and it's kind of all about living a creative life and how the magic is like creativity and how you use your creativity and how creativity comes and goes and whether or not you use it or not doesn't stop the fact that it's there. Oh, Wow. And it was so beautiful. I cried a couple of times (laughs) reading that book because it was just how I felt. Like she really got down to like an artist. Like how you feel where you're like, this is, I'm creating something and I'm, I'm using this creativity. And then sometimes it just leaves you and you're just like, was it there at all? Yeah. It's not gone. It's always there. And I think that's what's so beautiful. And it really, and you don't have to think about writing specifically and she talks about this she talks about you know dancers and painters Mm -hmm. and just singing a song in a car and just really like using your voice as a way to like use emotions and like emote things and how and I was just like this is so beautiful (laughs) it's so beautiful I really recommend that book and that is a really it's really comforting to me to think that creativity isn't something that is created or destroyed, it's something that always exists. It just so exists. it's like energy, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. It just is. Yeah, it just is. And I think that's just such a beautiful way to look at it. And so, yeah, definitely, that is a comfort book. Uh, really recommend it.
2: I don't, I don't think I really read much nonfiction. I have started to recently, but I really love the books where, where you can create your own story or go on a journey. Like the wreck this journals. The they're like there are journals and they're called wreck this journal. It's like it's basically like a journal for you to just write in, but it'll give you like certain instructions or tasks to do, like um, yeah, to kind of get yourself to explore the world around you. I really like those because especially during COVID, you can like be stuck in your house or not out in the public as much. And just reminding yourself that, you know, there is a world outside of your house or outside of your place of work. What about, let's say you were going on vacation and you had to build this writer's survival kit Mm. or you're stranded on a desert island and you Mm. can only bring certain things with you for your writer's
0: survival kit. What would be in your kit? I would have a lot of the classics. Like classics as in what? Classics as in um, Zora Neale Hurston, Toni Morrison, Octavia Butler, I'd also bring in Douglas Adams because that's just who I am as a person. <laughs> <laughs> um, those kind of classics, mm-hmm. not in, because those are so fundamental mm-hmm. to um who I am as a writer that if I could just access the classics I know that I can make quote-unquote modern or I can make them more specific to myself if I have that foundation and also they're just good books in general and so I think just having just reading those forever as for survival in my writing would be of the utmost importance to me if my goal is to continue writing is to just read the classics. Okay. So you're going to have books, nothing but books in your survival kit. I would have nothing but books. No, I would have books and candles because (laughs) I am obsessed with candles. I, if you could look so many candles and I, every month I'm just, I find new, new scents. And I'm just like, I gotta have it. I got (laughs) passion fruit and banana flower beside me. No idea what that is, but it smells amazing. Lighting a candle by itself or lighting a candle and reading a book it's nice
2: I agree I love candles as well I love scents in general like wallflowers and fragrance sprays but when I think about my writer's survival kit I wasn't even considering like to put in books because in my kit I would I need journals I love journals so I need journals at least one maybe like a really cool leather journal Mm, okay. it's like has all these handmade pages in it and it's Damn. like aged yeah. and it's really textured love that um I also need some natural pencils like pencils that were like handcrafted in some woodsman <laughs> what Wood- why do you need that what <laughs> why do you need that I just love it I just need it <laughs> okay I need a handcrafted okay. pencil that's like especially mine and it's like made <laughs> I need, from... I need a natural pencil <laughs> I want to like pick the tree and like <laughs> you know but of course it's a tree that's already been fallen and it's okay, like been struck by like lightning
0: or something what but island is this that we're you're just walking around picking up like picking a tree at random like that no one.
2: it's not, I'm not picking the tree from the island
0: it's what I brought with me to the island oh I'm sorry okay okay so yeah you, so back at home you picked a fallen down tree that then will become the natural pencil made yes. by the okay got yeah. it
2: yeah made it. by the rugged man in the woods The
0: rug- like.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and yes and so I need that I need a, a, a handmade leather journal handmade and handcrafted pencil mm-hmm. um or two it doesn't hurt to have a spare of course I also not. want a, a pen that's like a quill pen you know you have to like dip it into the ink love that, that. Seems
0: like it wouldn't be super accessible I can use squid ink
2: I'm on an island from the island I'm on I'm stuck on this island so, so I'm gonna
0: go on this island of course in the in the ocean so you're going to go out fishing for squid and then you're going to kill the squid for the ink. I have to because how else would I, would I eat and survive? It's going to be very multi violent writer's survival kit. Nah, I
2: it's going to be multi-purpose. Like I'm going to eat the squid, use that squid's ink, hopefully don't die because, you know, some squids are poisonous.
4: Oh my God.
2: But anyway, so yeah. So I have my handmade journal, my handmade pencil, mm-hmm. my quill pen, and also... Last but not least, I really need something
0: squishy. That's not what I thought you were gonna say. I don't know what I thought you were gonna say, but that's not what I thought it was. (laughs) Something like a
2: almost like a amplified stress ball. You know, because that squishy thing is about like a teddy bear. Nah, it needs to be I need to be able to squeeze it. All my rage and frustration of being trapped on the island needs to be able to go into that.
0: Also, maybe you could be into that squid. You're gonna beat for its. Oh ink. my gosh! You don't have to beat a squid for its ink. Uh, <laughs> you you, you know, you could do it very hu- humanely You can very humanely murder the squid. I'm sorry. You're right. My bad. <laughs> my bad. Anywho, so yeah,
2: <laughs> because that 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 squishy thing would also be my you know my friend. You need. You're gonna have to talk to somebody.
0: That's true. Yeah that's a very specific list of things that you would need
2: yes yes it how is how
0: long do quills last
2: I don't know but you know I could probably figure out how to make it
0: again by killing I, a bird you don't have to kill a bird their feathers fall off naturally okay so you're gonna find a feather on the island
2: mm-hmm. I'm gonna be there for years trapped and stuck right my question to you is what are you gonna do on your island could you sound
0: boring on uh- your island Uh, what I sound like is a humane person Is what I sound like (laughs) I will be reading my books I'll be lighting my candles and I will be very zen I'll be very and what are you gonna eat like how are you gonna eat I'm gonna I'm gonna eat you know plants
2: and berries and
0: and walnuts and walnuts and and, you know chestnuts and all of that
2: well good luck to you good luck to you thank you
0: thank you You'll be
2: the character who just like sits there and waits to be saved while you read your books. Well, you don't say nothing about what we're going to do to be saved. Well, I'm just saying, if you
0: say you're going to just be on First this off, island... you might see my fire. That, that little candle? Say, I could also have a campfire, like an actual fire. Mm-hmm. Or I could find a way to infuse the kindling with some kind of scent so that the fire itself is a giant candle. (laughs) I'm like, I'll figure out a way, I'll figure out a way. Okay. I'll figure out a way.
2: But serious question, characters who are stagnant versus characters who are um, the opposite, Mm -hmm. right? Which one would like, which one would you wanna read?
0: I like to read characters who are physically stagnant, who maybe they're not actually being active or not outgoing. They're quiet characters, but there's a lot of internal things happening. Okay. So instead of there being a lot of external conflict, I like there to be a lot of internal conflict.
2: I really like a combo of both. I don't know. Like. I need a character who, who does something with herself, go out and slay a dragon or go out and go get that guy you were trying to go after. I don't know. Save the baby.
0: Because I wanted to write, I'm thinking of a story right now that I want to write down just a blurb so I don't don't forget it about um, this character and the entire story. It's her alone in a house. Ooh, that the, the, the house no it's, it's not it's the house isn't haunted or spooky or it's a normal okay. looking house okay but she is having a lot of internal conflict and she never leaves the house and I want to write an entire book just her in this house and I've got this really really cool idea about how it's like all about her having to grapple with the loss of external stimulation Mm -hmm. the loss of being this big bright person in a group of other people and having to actually be her own entertainment and her own inner motivator and deal with her own inner editor or her own inner um like saboteur right and especially during covid
2: you've had to kind of become that at Mm -hmm. least for a short time so i think a lot of people can relate
0: to how that feels now okay monique so what are some healthy ways you use to decompress well
2: uh just recently unfortunately my grandmother she passed away we called her big baba um and and the interesting thing was that i'm actually writing a scene or i was writing a scene um about the death of this character's grandmother. You step Uh, away from that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's going to be therapeutic to write, I think, in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Um, But then it's going to be also really hard to write in a a lot of other ways. Um, One of my best friends from college, Sabrina, she got me this spa kit in the mail as a surprise because unfortunately, the day of my grandmother's funeral was also the date of my birthday, right? Mm -hmm. But in the spa kit, there were these um bath bombs all these natural herbal soaps and lotions and just different things like that but Mm -hmm. I used this bath bomb and girl Mm -hmm. I was like oh my god what have I what have I been doing all of my life I've been bath bombless Um, (laughs) but it was just the most one of the most relaxing experiences I've had in a long
0: time what about you um My favorite way to decompress is to do nothing. Oh, I, I literally not sleeping, but just sitting down on the couch or laying down on the couch and doing nothing, just laying there with my thoughts, because what usually stresses me out is overstimulation. And so it's important that I can be in a very quiet, not, not, not necessarily dark, but a very, just a silent place mm-hmm. where I can just think about nothing. Really? Yeah. And I, a lot of people, like my sister is the, is the opposite way. When she's decompressing, she needs to be like at a party, out at dinner with her friends. Like she is that kind of a person mm-hmm. and I'm the exact opposite. I need for no one to be in the room with me <laughs> for it to be silent absolutely silent wow yeah. I see I, I'm not really
2: quite like your sister but I'm I, I think I'm more opposite than you in that, and that it's probably because I grew up with like five other siblings and I'm used to noise and just mm-hmm. some kind of measure of chaos but I need music for sure and I and I need I can't be doing nothing like <laughs> doing yeah. nothing
0: stresses me out it really okay. does. I, I know that. I know that now. I know that doing nothing stresses you out. It took me a long time to learn that's what I needed. Mm-hmm. And I I think like when you're growing up, you you do try and find ways to relax. But right. you're relaxing with your friends or you're relaxing with your family or, or you're like you, you have a, a full household with a lot of people. And it's like, and you, and for me, I realized none of these things worked for me.
2: Yeah, I, I'm just trying to figure out what a what a silent mind sounds like. Sounds like nothing, Monique. It's silent. That's scary to me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay,
2: and that's fine. I guess it's scary because I can't I can't fathom it. You know what I mean? But I I think a lot of, a lot of people strive for that. Like yeah. a lot of people meditate and they strive for that silence and that calm
0: and that peace. But no. yeah. I don't I for some reason I don't really call it meditating only because meditating I feel like is so purposeful it's so yeah, intentional yeah. and I'm not it's not as purposeful as that yeah wow that's really interesting that is interesting yeah okay well I really need to go and do
2: laundry Camille all right me too
0: well thank you for joining us on this segment for our Black Joy crew uh, follow us on social media and DM us if you want to be joined onto the discord server and thanks for listening yes
2: and maybe you can tell us some ways that
0: you decompress or what will be in your writer's
2: survival kit and are you more like Camille are you someone who will be boring on your island uh, don't do your that. Books? <laughs> <laughs> or are you more like me are you, gonna, are you gonna have an adventure go swimming in the ocean and be nearly attacked by a shark barely make it out alive me. wouldn't be me <laughs> just saying And what are some of your comfort books? Let us know on social media, follow us on Twitter, and we'll interact with you there. Okay, see y'all soon.